In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Nice to see all of you. And uh, over here, and you guys are in the dark. I don't, uh, sorry about that. I don't know exactly what that will get that fixed this week. We are all economists. We're all economists. And some of us are better than others of us at, at it. But we're all economists. And what I mean by that is, is every time you go to a store, let's just take, for example, the grocery store, uh, you have to decide if you would rather have the food or the money, right? You've got to decide how much money you are willing to give up in order to get the amount of food or the kind of food that you want. Or we go to the gas station. That's a little more perilous these days. You're faced with the decision, do I need the gas to get me places more than I need the money that I would have to spend on other things? And you make a decision. If I want a new TV or a new car or anything there is, I have to figure out where is the intersection between the features that I want to have and the amount of money that I'm willing to spend or can spend. I might want all the features, the best stuff, but I don't have the money to spend or I'm not willing to spend that money. Where's the intersection? And even if you are in the fortunate position of not having to think uh, about money very often, that all of us, for all of us, our economic skills have been put to the test a little more lately than uh, they had previously. Our money is not getting uh, us as much as it used to. And so we have to count the cost. And some of us are discovering that our old TVs work just fine. What are we willing to give up for what we stand to gain? That is just basic economics. At what point does the rising cost begin to diminish our demand? It works the other way too, doesn't it? What am I willing to give up in order to get the money that I need or the money that I want? How much effort am I willing to put in? How many courses am I willing to take to boost my skills? Am I willing to do this job for this amount of money? Am I willing to sell this item uh, below a certain price? We're faced with decisions like this so often that we, we don't even think about it half the time. We just do it. And the same uh, economic principles, basic economics, right? The same basic economic principles apply in other things too, not just money. What, uh, how much effort am I willing to put into my marriage in order to get the joy that I long for in that relationship? How much discipline am I willing to put into my diet in order to have the numbers look right at my annual physical? How hard am I willing to study in order to get the grades that I need to get into the college that I want to attend? Where is the right balance between the time I need to give to my job and the time I need to give to my family? Simple, simple economics, same principles. And some things are worth the cost to us and some, some things are not. Sometimes we love the decision we made and sometimes... We learn from the decisions we make. But we're all economists. And I bring this up because in our gospel passage 
from Luke, Jesus has some people who want to come and follow him, and, and what he says might seem shocking to us. His words indicate that they must count the cost. And following Jesus is going to cost them. It's going to cost them. Which is not to say that they're not going to gain so much. But they're going to need to run a little cost-benefit analysis. And Jesus might sound a little harsh. A little bit demanding. Maybe a lot demanding. And I think a lot of times we, we really prefer a Jesus who's just happy with what he can get from us. You know, Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but you know, I got some things to take care of first, Jesus. They're, and don't worry, Jesus, they're good things. They're important things. And we want Jesus to say uh, he understands and, and just smile and, and say that's great and he loves you and he's happy to just see you whenever he can get you. Not what it says in the gospel passage. Somebody approaches Jesus on the road. He's walking towards Jerusalem and he says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And wouldn't you think that Jesus would say, really? Wow, that is great. Hop on board the caravan. I was so glad to have you. That's not what Jesus says. He basically says, you, you think so? Well, I'm, I'm basically homeless. Are you going to follow me to homelessness? Are you going to follow me to constantly relying on the kindness of strangers? Somebody else comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, I, I want to follow you, but, but first let me go and bury my father. That seems like a pretty reasonable request. I know it's unlikely that the father has died yet. But if the father is ailing and, and in need of care, then staying to care for him until his death would have been an important way to honor him. And therefore an important way to obey the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. You'd expect that Jesus would be excited about that, but no. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. Yikes. That seems like the opposite of pastoral, doesn't it? The third interaction is pretty much the same. I want to follow you. Just, just let me go say goodbye to my family first. And we want Jesus to say, oh, great. I know you're going to miss them so much. And I love families. In fact, families were my idea. And uh, I, I'm going to be uh, right here waiting on you when you get back. Jesus says, no one who puts the hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I would love to soften this for you. I'd love to just produce some sort of scholarly nugget that I uncovered about Jesus' culture and say, well, so what Jesus really means is a lot easier. I can't do it. What we can be assured of is that Jesus' words are true. We can be assured that his words are not selfish, that they are not mean-spirited, and in fact, we can be assured that his words are full of love. 
But this is the kind of truth that hurts. This is the kind of love that tells it like it is and doesn't pull any punches. Some of you have probably been involved before in an intervention where you sit someone that you love down and tell them hard truths that they need to hear about their own destructive behavior. And Jesus' words in this passage are, are like an intervention for those of us who want to follow Jesus Christ, but on our own terms. And not on His terms. And the fact that we're not told how any of these individual would-be followers respond to Jesus, it indicates that Jesus' responses to them are for every follower of Jesus. So here's what I think that Jesus is saying. The grace of God is free, but it will cost you everything. The grace of God is free, but it will cost you everything. So let me ask you, what has your faith in Jesus cost you? What have you had to give up Because you are following Jesus. I'm not talking about earning God's love. Let's let's be real clear about that. You can't earn God's love. It is a free and wonderful gift. Your good works do not gain you God's love. They will not get you into heaven. It's all grace. It's all grace. God loves you. Do not hear me saying anything else. And. If you have not engaged that amazing grace in such a way that it has begun to sand off the rough edges of who you are. If your relationship with Jesus has only been affirming and it has not challenged your sense of self or called you to repentance or uncomfortably exposed your ungodliness. If your faith in Christ has not changed your values or your routines or your behaviors, then my dear sister or brother, you are selling yourself way, way short. You are undoubtedly unaware of the joy that is available to you. You're sort of hedging your bets with Jesus, not fully convinced that he can deliver on the amazing things that he has promised. You're not sure that he is worth the cost. And so we give a little, and we get a little. And that's just the economics of it. The intersection of what we're willing to give up and for what we think we stand to gain is it's pretty low on the graph. We're content to hang on to some of our rough edges and just get a little bit of Jesus. Give him a couple bucks and get the iceberg lettuce version of Jesus instead of breaking the bank for the filet mignon. I wonder if you ever wanted to go swimming early in the season and you know you dip your toe in it's warm outside but you dip your toe in the water and it's so cold it's just miserable and you, you I mean somebody tells you if you just if you just get in the water will be great you, it'll, you'll get over it quick and it's going to be so refreshing and you think no way 
And a lot of people just dip their toe into Jesus and they're miserable. Not willing to go any further. You remember the passage, uh, the parable that Jesus tells over in Matthew's Gospel. The guy is walking through a field and he discovers in this field this massive treasure. It's hidden. Maybe it's buried, maybe it's underneath a log or something, but it's this incredible treasure. And, and Jesus says, in his joy, in his joy, he goes, he sells everything he has so he can buy the field. And he gets his treasure. And you know, when we read that, that parable, we're not meant to wonder if, you know, maybe could the guy have gotten a better deal? I mean, could he have just given up half his stuff and gotten, you know, could he negotiate a little bit? We're not meant to wonder if he had a little bit to sell or if he had a lot to sell. It doesn't matter. We are meant to understand that the treasure is worth everything you got. That what he gave up was absolutely worth the cost. That in fact it paled in comparison to what he had gained. We're meant to assume that he never lamented or longed for the old things that he had sold because he was so joyful with the treasure. We're meant to understand that Jesus is the treasure. The grace and the love of God is free. But it will cost you everything. Because when we belong to Jesus, then everything that belonged to us now belongs to Jesus. And he gets to do with it what he wants. And so we give it to him. We give him our anger. We give him our addictions, whether they be material or spiritual. We give him our money. We give him our time. We give him our future. We give him our family's future. We give him our ideas about right and wrong. And we give him our ideas about who he is and what he ought to require of us. We give him everything. It's all his. Now, I don't know what he's going to ask of you. But I know that what you stand to gain will be laughably better. Laugh, not even close. Now it may be costly. And it may be scary. And it will almost certainly be difficult. And you will, but you will find unimagined blessing on the other side. What has your faith in Jesus cost you? What have you had to give up to follow Jesus? What might you ought to hand over to him now or get his help with? What are the rough edges that you know he wants to sand off? Now, I can't answer those questions, but I can promise you this. I'd love to sit with you to make an appointment. I'd love to talk, talk with you through those things, pray with you. You don't, you're not alone. While you're thinking about those things, 
what you might hand over to Jesus. I, w- I just want to say one more thing. In this passage, at the very beginning, we're told that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. It means he's determined. He's undeterred. Nothing's going to stop. He set his face. He's headed to the cross. Jesus has his eyes wide open. He knows what is waiting on him. He knows why he's going. He's going to die. Jesus is going to sell everything he has to get his treasure. He's going to give up his own life to get his treasure. And that treasure to you. You're his treasure. Jesus counted the cost. And friend, you were worth it. He gave up everything to gain you. And so Jesus is inviting us into the fullness of his sacrifice. Into a radical reorientation of our lives where he is in fact our alpha and our omega. He is our beginning and our end. We sometimes want a Jesus who's just happy with whatever he gets from us. Jesus loves you too much for that. Too much. He wants it all. Do you trust him? Do I trust him? Jesus is telling us to count the cost. He's also telling us that he is beyond Amen.